This is the After Party, live with Jim McAllister and John Daly. Welcome oh, yeah. to the Christmas edition. Are we going to have Christmas editions all week? I think so. I like it. Come on in, get some oh. hot chocolate. <laughs> Please, could I? Could you bring some? Take a seat by the uh, fire. Mm, that's so nice. I love the yeah. snowflake. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Do you see it's my tree behind party. me? I have my little tree. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Actually, I stole it out of Julia's room. Uh, yeah. There's always a question <laughs> when I worked with like Gene and other people. It's like, how long before Christmas do you start with the Christmas music? Um, or you could just loop it forever, you know? Like, quite, there you go. Or, just loop it through doing. the whole show. I don't um, You know, at what point do you get tired of it? Are you going to get burnt out? And so yeah. I started doing like a... I would do like a 50-50 blend for like yeah. the two weeks going up. And then like the week of or the couple days before, then I'd go to the 100%. You yeah. don't want to like, you don't want people to be tired of Christmas before Christmas. No, but this I week, mean, I mean, this is a solid Christmas this week. Is, yeah, this is the week. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we've been buying things for Christmas since August, right? Oh, no, I haven't. Maybe I should have been. <laughs> well, well happy Costco holidays wants you to. Too. Costco does. Happy, happy holidays, holidays to you. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome to the After Party Live during this week before Christmas. Um, let's talk, first of all, about we have lots of deer stories. It's like deer heavy in the oh, animal. Oh, yeah. We have a, it's not just deer heavy. We have a deer triple feature. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, dear. This is a very special little deer from Pennsylvania, an albino deer, and they caught it on camera in Pennsylvania. They say it's exceptionally rare, and it was just walking around a field in Pennsylvania County. Let's take a look. Yeah, so this is a short clip, so pay attention. Here we go. Wow, look at that. There's the white deer. I mean, not easy to hide yourself if you're standing out that way, right? Yeah, perfect for, uh, unfortunately, perfect for hunting. So this, Uh, exactly, this resident um, took this video of this all-white deer wandering around. They say they've been seen in that state before, but they're very, very rare. Um, One was caught last year in New York, but they think it was leucocystic rather than albino. There, it's related, this condition, but albinism involves a complete lack of pigment in the entire body, including the eyes, where leucism can leave some pigment in the animal's hair and skin or eyes. So just different, but interesting. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Our um, second deer story is straight out of Mississippi. Now, I have a a local news story, and it's going to go a little longer than we normally cut, but um, I just want you to observe the production value of local (laughs) news. Okay. The funny thing, funny thing is, at one point they interview a child, and you know the Chiron is what you you see at the bottom of the screen, kind of like where yeah. it says John Daly and Kim McAllister. Yeah. Uh, it it says that he's the assistant manager of the restaurant, but it's just like oh. a kid that they're talking Oops. to that was like eating at the <laughs> diner. So it's kind of funny. But this deer runs through a Mississippi restaurant uh, during lunch rush. We've sh- shown a, a similar video before. Uh, security cameras caught the deer crashing through the window. Uh, turning uh, the lunch rush into a dine and dash. Uh, it was, it's a restaurant called Mi Pueblo. So it was a Mexican restaurant. And uh, hey, we have that restaurant in Petaluma. <laughs> it's a different one. <laughs> it looks a little less sophisticated. I don't know oh. what you mean. Uh, but d- diners are scrambling to get out of the way of the deer as it runs through the dining room past the buffet. Yeah, we don't have any Mexican buffets, do we? Mm, I've never no. heard of that. No. Okay, here we go. Check this out. It definitely was not a typical lunch break for people in Pontotoc on Tuesday. A wild animal ran inside of a local restaurant causing quite the scene. WTVA Sammy Roebuck is live tonight in studio where she got some reaction from people who were inside the restaurant at the time about what happened. Sammy, what'd they say? You're right, it did cause a commotion. People were shocked. This is not normal. This happened inside Mi Pueblo in Pontotoc. The deer jumped right through this now boarded up window you see behind me. Check it out. It wasn't expected. I knew it was a once in a lifetime deal. On a typical Tuesday at a Mexican restaurant, people see tacos, rice, beans. But this time, folks saw a deer. Look at that. He went all around the restaurant at the height of lunch service. It happened around one o'clock. The staff at Mi Pueblo actively tried to get the deer out of the dining room. 
everyone couldn't believe their eyes. Eighth grader Kyle Clark told me he immediately sent the video to all of his friends. He come back through the buffet line. I think he fixed a plate. He ran by the our table and he just he slid. Kyle was eating lunch with Ron Wrecker, ironically after they went deer hunting and didn't see a thing. Well, he was just eating and we heard a noise. We thought somebody dropped some plates or something. It was pretty loud, but we really didn't realize a deer, we didn't know what was really happening until it came by the table. I talked to a Mississippi Wildlife and Fisheries deer expert, Cayman Campbell. He told me deer behavior is really hard to predict, but especially this time of year because it's mating season. Mississippi is also seeing an increase in deer population, according to Campbell. Live in the studio, Sammy Roebuck, WTVA 9 News. That's pretty good one, John. Yeah, does Ms. Roebuck get to do all the deer yeah, stories I there? That, um... She's very exuberant, and you've got that. She's got that smile on her face the whole time. Yeah, that's yeah. Funny. Kim says, yeah, that kid yeah. would not be the assistant manager. LOL. Well, it is Mississippi, you know, so maybe. Yeah, uh, Bambi's revenge, first blood. <laughs> uh, it's we see these stories happen so so often, and I feel bad for the deer. They it's yeah. they're so panicked. Right. Like they're so stressed out and panicked. Like, how do they get out of there? So I have to give credit to the kid for having the best line in the story. You know, he said that the deer went for seconds. Right. Second <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, that was an int it's always interesting to see. I love how they have like the the um, the branches laid out on the news desk. To, yeah, to celebrate I, was, Christmas. I almost said like, that like that's it's a bit much. It was what's a going on bit, there at the news desk? I don't know. Bit, it's a bit crowded. It's a little cluster. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, don't forget, uh, Wes says bad editing, not the manager. Right. We probably not. Likely not. Oh, there was more but bad editing. I cut out a bunch of the stories. These, so it would actually went to, can you imagine this is local news, like two and a half minutes. Yeah. That story was originally. And thank you, Wes, for the $5 super sticker. Right on. We appreciate it. Thank you, Wes. Um, one of the things that happens in these small mark TV markets and radio yeah. markets is you're sent out on a story and you're not only the reporter, you also have to film it. Right. You have to do all the interviews and film them yourselves. And then you yeah. have to do all the editing yourself. So she yeah. doesn't have a, she, there's not like three people working on it. Like in yeah. San Francisco, this and is you can tell, she's by herself. Yeah. We talked about it before. You can tell when they, like a local reporters edited the story because the sound will be like one person, like they, the people they're interviewing will be in left channel and right. then they'll be talking in the right channel. Yeah. 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 That was a small market, but when you uh, when she said especially, I was like, okay, yeah. we have some work to do with her. But good story, we like it a lot. And she's like, Sorry, everyone that couldn't too... believe their eyes. I mean, like, no one could believe their eyes. Was that too judgy? <laughs> Are we being too judgy? I don't know. I don't know. Once you start getting nitpicky and uh, yeah, yeah, it, I don't know. Um, firefighters rescued a deer from a frozen river in Wisconsin, and I love these stories about humans trying to help animals. Again, you have this news report, so let's check out this video. This is uh, again, this frozen river is in Wisconsin where firefighters came to the aid of this stranded animal. Well, here is proof that Northland ice conditions are not safe for either man or animal. The Superior Fire Department shared these photos on their Facebook page. A deer was unable to get its footing while trying to cross the St. Louis River and got stuck on the ice. The department's Platoon 3 responded and used ice rescue suits and an inflatable boat to reach the deer. They were able to get the animal back to shore safely where it then ran off away from the river. Oh, so sweet. I know, so sweet. And thank you to those firefighters. Look at them. Oh, so sweet. I think it is too. That's awesome. That's what you want, right? You want it to be healthy yeah. and be able to run away back into the wilderness and do its thing. So love that. Yay. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, it's a small market when the TV station is a CBS and NBC affiliate. Oh, oh is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> uh oh, that's not yeah. good. Wes says, I noticed that, for example, Orlando NBC local news is extremely professional. Shout out to Fox 35 and the Fox 35 Thunder Truck. That's the source of many uh, Friday Fabulous Florida story. And Tampa NBC obviously has a much smaller budget. Yeah. Fewer swooshes. You know? And huge thanks to Ms. Organic uh, with a $5 super sticker who sent me the loveliest message that, full of kindness. And I haven't responded yet, but I promise to. And thank you. Thank you for the $5 super sticker. You're really, really You like right. the messages that are full of kindness, right? Yeah. Don't those send are, me the ones the... that are full of vitriol and hate. No, send those to Mark. 
Those are the ones Mark likes, likes to read. Those aren't the ones I want to read. No, absolutely <laughs> not. No, no, no. Well, you know well, what is valuable? Um, vases and other things that are found at thrift stores, right? Oh, I love a good antiques roadshow story. This is a story about a vase bought for four bucks, four bucks at a Virginia thrift store. It just sold for more than $100,000. That's pretty. What? Why is the horse there? That's interesting. Um, Jessica Vincent said she and her partner frequently shop at the Goodwill store where she found this vase in June. She credits Antiques Roadshow for her keen eye. She mm. recognized markings on the base of the vase showing it was made from high-end Murano glass in Italy. Yeah, Murano is really nice. I've been there. It's per, uh, like... I couldn't buy anything, but it's really I guess nice. they have high-end glass as well. Oh, yeah, that's where the whole island is like. It's outside of Venice, and it's like where they blow this glass. It's like world-renowned, and it has been for centuries. Well, she put a picture up of this vase on Facebook after she bought it for $4, and this group dedicated to glassware identified it as a Carlo Scarfa, which apparently is a big deal, and $100,000. She sold this this vase for a hundred grand. Look at her go. Wow. Yep. Yeah, it looks like it looks like it's painted after the fact, but they actually do that in the process, right? It's so that it looks cool like looking. it has these, It's really these... cool looking, but I don't know if it's a hundred thousand dollars cool looking. Um, well, I mean, if it's if it's if that's what it's going for, there aren't that many of them. Um, mm. That was the best photo of her. That they had another one that was kind of blurry, but here's some. Um, this is what Murano looks like. Ooh, you that's beautiful. Go. All the houses are painted like this. It's like it a looks like mini, Venice. Mini, yeah, it's like a, a Venice suburb. But you have to take a boat. You take a ferry from like island to island. Uh, wow. But it's worth it's worth worth going if you go to Venice. I would. That's recommend beautiful. It. Like you can go through the shops and they have demonstrations and whatnot. Maybe Very do they cool. have glass I can afford to buy? Maybe. Maybe that you can afford on Maybe. a big Mark Thompson salary. <laughs> not. Oh yeah. Not on the after party. <laughs> not on the after party fund. Although we are very appreciative. Yes. Every contribution. Um, let's see. Uh, I have to spend most of that money on cat food and um when i do sometimes archie lets me throw things and he doesn't really play fetch he doesn't like bring yeah. things back i know other cats will like fetch things he'll yeah. like swat them destroy them chase them down but he's not returning anything to me but cats do in general play fetch too oh. as long as they're in control that's the main thing right we can all relate they're control freaks if you think of a game of fetch, you might picture a dog running back and forth, eagerly retrieving a ball, but a new first-of-its-kind study in the Journal of Scientific Reports shows that they're not the only pets that like the game. Cats play fetch, too, just on their own unique terms. Academics at the University of Sussex in Northumbria, uh, in Northumbria University in Great Britain surveyed most, uh, almost 1,000 owners of 1,100 different cats to find out if and why they play fetch, which was defined as an animal retrieving an object that's thrown. According to the findings, nearly 95% of cat owners reported that their cats fetched items instinctively in the absence of overt training. Uh, one survey responded to their cat returned the toy completely unprovoked, uh, unprovoked. Fetching was mainly first noticed when cats were under one year old. Uh, what's more, cats who fetch largely determine when they engage in fetching sessions and actively influence the play behavior of their owners. See, they're training us, according to the study. In other words, unsurprisingly yeah. to cat owners, they like to be in control. Um, Archie will chase and, you know, their eyes go wide, like, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> they're yeah. dilated when they're uh, interested. But uh, he mostly likes to attack my hand. So I have a golden retriever, a dog, well, not a cat. Kind of built in. It's kind of built in. So you would right? think that my dog would want to play fetch, would want right. to give things Retrieve. back. No, my dog likes it when loves it when I throw stuff, and so she can go get it. Yeah, but she comes back and she'll stand near me, and when I reach out to get it, she backs up. So whatever it is that she's retrieved, she doesn't want to give up the goods. She likes to yeah. hold on. Karen says I had one cat that would play fetch. Cool. Um, on the Murano, uh, Lori says it's of the artist. You can get much less expensive Murano glass pieces. I'm sure. Although if I got anything in Murano, I was on you know a trip around the world, like it would have ended up in pieces. So I, yeah. I I would never buy anything fragile on. You know, well, I would can, never can you buy anything. A carry on. Just put it in a uh, carry on. Smash. I I have a I have a little bit of crystal from when I got married. And I kind of keep it in a corner of my dining room, like in an area where 
balls, kids, Are... people throwing stuff, couldn't break it. Yeah. But I'm quite certain that if I had a $100,000 piece of glass, not that I ever would spend Your that much money on anything, it it's, it. it'd be a goner. Yeah. yeah. And and so would I, like just washing is it, my hands would be shaking. Like I couldn't. Like, you would have like $100 chunks. Uh, yeah. No, I'd have. That's <laughs> right. That's what I would have. Speaking of money. Yeah, uh, what does it say? Our cat likes to play goalie with ice cubes. That's, That's so cute. funny. <laughs> cute. Um, at Costco, you know, they were selling the gold bars. Yeah. And they yeah. were a big seller. It turns out it is a hot selling item for Costco. This past quarter, $100 million worth of Costco gold bars sold $100 online. $100 million. $100 million. I think people are planning for the future the apocalypse worst. something yeah yeah the worst the 24 karat south african gold bars were listed for more than two thousand dollars an ounce on friday on the website the sales are non-refundable but it's a big seller for costco this year the gold bar will there be a gold bar in your stocking that's the question so you get your dollar 50 hot dog and your two thousand dollar bar of gold <laughs> oh that's so weird but yes yes that's yeah. it's a it's a strange um I was going to say store, but it's more of an experience, right? Well, you it's know a... that I love a good story about something that has is of, you know, of artistic value, of cultural value that has been hidden, locked away, finally found. So not this show. You're talking about <laughs> this this next well this uh, we're not artifact. locked away we're here we're we're no. artistic value for all to see you know uh, there's a, a difference no a belgian father and son were shocked to learn that a souvenir that had adorned the hallway of their home for about 50 years was an was an authentic artifact from the lost italian city of pompeii how do you wow. not know who put it there Raphael de tamerman he's 80 and his son gert de tamerman said they visited Italy in 1975. While touring the city of Pompeii, they were approached by a man who offered to sell them a souvenir, some carved stones depicting a scene. The stone scene, what can you tell us about the scene? The <laughs> stone scene was installed, well, Larry, uh, in a stairway at the family's Herzl home, and little was given. Little thought was given to it until this year when Raphael was preparing to move out of the house and his son decided to have the object appraised. A pair of specialists from the Gallo Roman Museum in Tongeren uh, visited the home to inspect the stone scene. And the next day, the family was visited by police officers who drew up a report. The father and son said they were surprised to be told that the stairway decoration was an authentic Pompeii artifact that had been reported stolen 50 years earlier. It's a bit crazy to think that tourists have looked at a replica while the original has been hanging here all the time, said the son. Isn't that wild? Uh, and uh, the, the deputy mayor of culture said officials are keen to see the artifact return to Italy. Uh, Gert de Temenren, uh said he will comply with whatever plans authorities devise for the stones return to Pompeii, but he is hoping for some financial compensation. Pompeii was destroyed by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in the year 79, you remember. Um, and that city is now an archaeological site pro uh, protected by the UN Educational, Scientific, and Cultural mm. Organization. People will um, make money in whatever way they can, even if, if it's by doing something underhanded, taking things that don't belong to you. Yeah. You know, did you watch sixty minutes? Did you watch sixty minutes last night? No. Anderson Cooper does a piece on um, this notorious like thief that says he wasn't a thief and then he he passed away, but um, he took like artifacts. Um, out of um, Cambodia. Oh, you know, and this is while people are being killed. You know, there's a horrible, horrible history, horrible history, right, of genocide in Cambodia. And there's this just dark market, you know, this black market of um, hiring these desperate people. And they were like killing each other. To, to is that where they, that movie, the, the the killing, is that where the movie The Killing Fields was based? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, but this is, you know, semi i mean unrelated it's not about the mm -hmm. humans being killed but um they're taking advantage of this like chaotic environment where people are desperate for money right right it's, it's really sad um and then the whole you know art collecting thing which is kind of creepy you know um in certain cases anyway well people that do these horrible things yes. likely have low emotional intelligence that's right you know, i don't know if they do or not but um here are uh, uh some of the phrases that people with low emotional intelligence uh, emotional intelligence use every day this is according to a harvard psychiatrist who um 
kind of says sometimes it takes a while to, to figure out if somebody is where they are on the emotional intelligence spectrum. Whatever. This is a way you can, these phrases, if someone says these things, you Uh-oh. kind of know right away. Uh-oh. Interestingly, whatever isn't one of them. Oh. Um, number one is, I'm not changing. This is who I am. Mm. I've met that person. Yes, I have too. Um, it is not someone who is going to be interested in self-reflection, the willpower to grow and change their mentality. Not good on the emotional intelligence spectrum. I'm not changing. This is who I am. Yeah, no. Um, the next one is, I don't care how you feel. Whoa. Well, if you blatantly tell someone you really don't care about their feelings, it means you really don't care about them. It I'm means- hearing all these in like Eric Cartman's voice. <laughs> I don't care how you feel. Like you no exhibit- <laughs> That's my horrible Cartman. If you exhibit <laughs> selfish <laughs> behavior, if you lack the empathy to put yourself in the other's shoes, it makes it difficult to develop strong relationships. I don't care how you feel. Number three is, it's your fault I'm feeling this way. Mm. No one is ever to blame for your feelings. You are responsible for your feelings, which are based on your internalized perceptions of your life. So to blame someone else for how you feel is a sign of immaturity. You can say, you did this thing and here's how it made me feel, but you're in charge of your own feelings. It's your fault. I'm feeling this way. Red flag. Number four, you're just wrong. See, sometimes I say this, if someone is wrong, they're wrong. But those with low emotional intelligence will refuse to ever believe they're wrong. So that's Mm. not the case. I do admit being wrong often. This is reminding me of the chat room on uh, Mark's show. Sometimes people are just wrong. When navigating a conflict with others, it's important to see both sides of the coin. Nothing is ever black or white. There's always gray. So broaden your perspectives and hear other people out. Number five, stop being crazy. Yeah, there, Kim. There's anything you should never do. It's call someone crazy. You're no matter crazy. You're you crazy. are you crazy. No matter how irrational someone's actions might appear, usually it stems from hurt and unheard emotions. So you don't want to call someone crazy. Um, two more. Number six, I can't forgive you. Some things are hard to forgive, but emotionally intelligent people can empathize with others in their flawed behaviors. And to refuse to forgive is a sign of immaturity. I don't know. There's some things that maybe I wouldn't forgive either. Number seven, your feelings are irrational. Once again, making people feel unimportant, right? Mm. It's unfair and unreasonable to believe others' feelings are invalid. So some people feel things more deeply. It's important to let those people feel heard. No one's feelings are ever irrational. Even when they seem so, these feelings are rooted in past traumas and painful experiences. And so uh, in the same way that your own feelings are valid, so are everyone else's. So listen understand other people when they express their strong feelings kind of remind me of when people give you like a half-assed apology and they're like i'm sorry you feel like i'm sorry you you feel this way yeah Yeah, i'm sorry Uh you feel this way it's like Uh they they can't actually apologize Uh, Um, that would be on the list one of the interesting things this article says is if these are some of the things you find yourself saying then work to replace those they call toxic ill-disposed phrases with healthier ones. So if you're saying, you know, often you seem like it's a go-to for you to say, I can't forgive you or uh, stop being crazy or you're just wrong, you're the one that's never wrong, then maybe try to think about different things that you can say in the middle of a conflict. Yeah, I was beginning to think before you read the story, I was thinking that the, I had inspired you to put this in here and I'm glad that I... I no, I no. Me. No. <laughs> Ossiel says, don't be so defensive really gets to me. LOL, I'm not defensive. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys and give me him. <laughs> oh, Cartman. Um, okay, so we are next. This is really interesting. The You think that... That sounds the, so shocked. The NASA's Voyager would be sending back the goods, right? But yeah. instead, it's sending back stuff we don't really understand what it's saying. Yeah, NASA's Voyager 1 space probe has started sending back nonsensical data 
uh, to Earth after making a journey. Was it Fox News now? Maybe it's become an affiliate of Fox News. After it's making a, a journey of billions of miles and traveling for near, nearly 50 years in space. Well, you know, that might do it to you, right? After f- billions of miles and 50 years in space, you might start to lose it. It's first old launch, and confused. Yeah, first launched in 1977. That's a long time ago. The yeah. spacecraft was originally on a five-year mission. That's crazy. To uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, Voyager, you're not crazy. On a five-year mission to fly past <laughs> Jupiter and Saturn, but has continued to venture further into space. For, I didn't mean to gaslight Voyager. Um, for the past 46 years, becoming the first human-made object to leave the solar system. Um, we have a few others that we can uh, add to that. As of the 2023, signals from Voyager 1 typically take more than 22 hours to reach Earth. But NASA says the probe, which is currently 15 billion miles away from our planet, uh, has suffered a communications glitch. It's crazy that it's 15 billion miles and it only takes 22 hours. Isn't that wild? Wow. But it's sending crazy? back gobbledygook. Like, Isn't that it's, wild? Blah, blah, blah. It does nothing. It says nothing. It's wild, but it's not crazy. Yeah. Voyager 1 has three onboard computers, and you know those are like pocket calculator computers. They include <laughs> flight data that uh, collects information from the spacecraft's scientific instruments and engineering data, which is a little like a coded health bar showing how Voyager 1 is doing. On Earth, NASA receives the data in binary code, a type of coding that uses zeros and ones to represent letters, numbers, and symbols. It is called binary code because it's only made of two symbols. I like to have the little lesson there for uh, the non-nerds. But now the probe is repeating itself. Oh, it's like grandpa. Uh, It's repeating (laughs) itself, sending the same bit of code over and over again. Leading scientists suspect it's broken. No, it's just Voyager's telling you the same story again. When I was a kid. (laughs) When I was your age. Yeah. yeah, so NASA's uh, JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which manages many of the space agency's robotic missions, has said on social media that the NASA Voyager team is inv- investigating an issue with Voyager 1's flight data system. The spacecraft is receiving and executing commands sent to Earth, but not returning usable data. Uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. So many good comments, you guys. So oh, funny. Um Okay, let's stick with science for a minute because I found this interesting story about something called stromatolites. I'm glad you're pronouncing this. Stromatolites, yes. So stromatolites are interesting. I had never heard of them before. Maybe you guys in the chat know more about this than I do. I've never seen anything like this. I haven't either. Scientists have discovered this previously hidden ecosystem with an expansive systems of lagoons in the salt plains of Puna de Atacama in Argentina. These are giant stromatolites that could provide a glimpse into the er earliest life on Earth and maybe even Mars. So stromatolites are layered rocks created by the growth of blue-green algae or cyanobacteria through photosynthesis. The structures are considered to be one of the oldest ecosystems on Earth. According to NASA, they represent the earliest fossil evidence for life on our planet at least three and a half billion years ago. Some of the earliest macro fossils on our planet are in this rare type of environment. They are a window into the distant past and to what life might have looked like three and a half billion years ago on our planet. Ancient giant stromatolites used to be widespread in Earth's Precambrian era. That is 4.6 billion to 541 million years ago. But now they're very sparsely distribu- uh, distributed around the world. That's why the discovery of these stromatolites are so cool. So this apparently uh, grew in an atmosphere that lacked oxygen. In these conditions, the stromatolites microbes, uh, which don't require oxygen, converted light energy into compounds that supported living cells. And scientists are saying it is spectacular to find structures that could be biogenic produced by living organisms at this unusual altitude. A major issue with the discovery, whether biogenic or not, though, is that these are formed in the presence of oxygen in the current atmosphere. So uh, it'll be interesting. They they think the um, layers farther down in this rock have little to no access to oxygen and are actively formed by microbes. They would make the ones similar to those found on ancient Earth. So John asked, who doesn't know about stromatolites? Right. Um, well, clearly I'm the bonehead in the group. I did oh, not know. Both of us. Yeah. <laughs> what a discovery though, right? Yeah. 
It's pretty cool. And they think it could possibly be a window into ancient Mars. Mm. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say a portal. No, it's not Darn. a portal. Well, you let's go back to space. Yes. You remember we reported on the, um, we report, you decide. Remember when we reported on the <laughs> tomato that went missing on tomato uh, Gate. International mm -hmm. Space Station? Yep. Well, now we know what it looks like. NASA offered an update on the two tomatoes lost for eight months aboard the International Space Station and offered a first look at the dehydrated fruits. The tomatoes, among the first ever grown in space, were originally suspected to have been eaten by astronaut Frank Rubio. Poor Frank who insisted they were merely lost somewhere on the station and Expedition 70 crew members recently revealed Rubio was exonerated as they had located the long-lost foods eight months later. NASA now has provided the first look at the tomatoes, which are dehydrated and squished, but astronauts said <laughs> they showed no visible signs of microbial or fungal growth. Wow, we need some of that. Yeah, uh, I mean, just look at my kitchen. They, they it doesn't look long. very appetizing, I'm going to say that. Yeah, but the cherry tomatoes don't last as long in my kitchen. Despite yeah. the high humidity aboard the station, uh, the space agency said the tomatoes were discarded by the station crew. Well, that's good. But uh, we wanted to provide an update here before we take a break. Absolutely. It was a break time already. Look at us go. Mm. Yeah, that was the uh, first right. period. We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back first for second period. period. It's halftime. When we come back in merely seconds here on the one of the Christmas edition week of uh, of the After Party Live, we'll talk about how TikTok has some longer videos. We'll also discuss some entertainment news. And have you heard of the therapy gecko? We'll show you a picture even though he you don't, might not want right? to see it. No, he's green. He, he sells. He's, he's here to help you, John Daly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He's bringing emotional intelligence to the masses. Oh, we'll we be right that. back on the After Party Live. Hey, everybody. It's Controversial Travel Tuesday contributor Mockingbird. Love me or hate me, the After Party Live is underwritten by our audience. If you could contribute $10, $15, $20 a month, bag of bird seed. It would really keep this party pretty cool. Any dollar amount is appreciated, and it all adds up. The PayPal link can be found in the about. Uh, pick up. The PayPal link can be found in the about section of the YouTube channel, or at the bottom of the show description. Now I know what you're thinking. Why would I listen to a mockingbird? Well, I just want to help everybody get into the holiday spirit. Okay. Why would I listen to a mockingbird? party where you don't even have to leave the house you could be naked for all we care the after party live <laughs> i did not expect that that was the best you do these things and surprise me mockingbird thank you you're welcome yeah. uh bw rocks says mockingbird has vocal fry today yeah i was i was i was up late i was up late doing video that was really really funny love it oh my god that's the best <laughs> a bag of bird seed killing me <laughs> um okay let's talk about oh first of all i wanted to thank the ongoing contributors that yeah, is we have a bunch to thank harry m yes and elizabeth r woohoo and allison a and brian s brian s so i didn't get overshadowed by the that and the la uh linda a and the jim l and rachel c and martha d what a list of people thank you for supporting did you say the, the jim l the Jim L. The Jim L. You <laughs> the know Jim who you L. are. The, the big Jim. Woo! The big the big JL. Um, we also <laughs> want to thank our super sticker contributors, Wes T. Wes. And Ms. Organic, who always support the show. Thank you Yay. so much. Um, helps us buy the equipment and the video editing software so I can yeah. um, spend Do way too much time. Videos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, TikTok is pushing longer videos. Some, you can't say the TikTok. The, the TikTok. TikTok. The old ye old TikTok is pushing longer videos. So that's kind of didn't change everything. They're worried about the quote vibe shift. Jim, you are the Jim. You're the Jim, the JL. Thank you for contributing to the show, JL. We appreciate you. The big Jim. Um, so used to be that. TikTok videos were short form, right? That was the whole thing, right. the whole premise of the platform. Now they're but blathering. Now they're blathering on. So the short form video pioneer, TikTok, changing course and letting people make some longer videos. Um, they're phasing out its, its original creator fund, 
So people who want to monetize their content have to join something new under which they'll have to make videos longer than one minute if they want to get paid by the app. So that means if your business is making TikTok videos and you're going to want to make longer videos. So um, they say that it is this TikTok shift away from the short form to the long form is a reversal of fortune. So it's following now its other peers into a format that may be a little bit more profitable. Yeah, Wes is saying it's pushing more and more long ads. I find myself mm -hmm. watching less. At first, I thought you meant the after party life. Oh, no, never that. <laughs> We're talking about TikTok. What they say is what Le- Wes is saying is that this could encourage users to spend, they're trying to get you to spend more time on the app. Right. Some teens, teenagers say they're, they use TikTok, TikTok almost constantly. Yeah. But they're, now a lot of people that loved it are saying that takes away from what made it so cool and keeping your attention span by video after video after video after video, right? right? But now that they're putting these ads in and the videos are longer, then maybe trying to keep people longer isn't what's going to happen. Maybe people will check out sooner. I don't know. Oh, and that reminds me, we have a um, we have an achievement. We have had uh, 5,000 downloads of the audio version Ooh, of the podcast. That is such a big deal for us. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Sorry about the ha- ads. No, I feel happy. That's really good. <laughs> Let's talk about Cher. Yeah. Cher is proving herself to be rock and roll. She yeah, had some indeed. choice words for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame after they snubbed her. <sighs> She's like, mm-mm. <clears throat> Yeah. Cher was on the Kelly Clarkson show on Friday. Yeah, she was. And she said the museum's voting committee can go you know what themselves. <laughs> you know what? She said, I wouldn't be in it now if they gave me a million dollars. I am never going to change my mind. Yeah. Clarkson shared her disbelief. The audience gasped. Wait, are you serious? The singer said, she goes, I am not kidding you. Mm-mm. The 2023 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony in September included Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, George Michael, Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machine, and The Spinners. While this year's nominations were Crow's and Nelson's first, the two have been eligible since 2018 and the 80s, respectively. Clarkson earlier shared how the 77-year-old singer singer recently made history. Um talked about this their her new song is called dj play a christmas song yeah i'm giving i'm giving it a thumbs down no oh, you heard i mean it? it's, it's a yeah it's kind of a dancey tune eh. auto-tuned yeah it's Do you it's, not, it's not very special i don't think but she said and just, you just talked about believe she said i changed music forever yeah With, she did auto-tuned yeah yeah <laughs> she also she went on to brag about other great things she's done, and she has done a lot, and she's an amazing artist. But yeah, not happy with the Rock Wes and Roll Hall of Fame. Asking nope. is she jealous because they let Dolly in? You know, it is weird because when they were talking about letting Dolly in, she said, "I don't, I didn't, I didn't accept it because I didn't she didn't consider it. herself rock mm-hmm. and roll." Right, and now she's had a rock and roll album. But I mean, um, especially early on, um, Cher had a lot of like rock, rock and roll type yeah. songs. So it is weird, and like Kate Bush before. Before right? her, I mean, Cher. Cher's yeah. such a superstar, right? I mean, she's been yeah. around for so long and, you know, still making music and still putting out often music that rises to the top of the charts. So, and you know, that Kate Bush song that was featured in Stranger Things, Running Up That Hill? Yeah. Yeah. You know that song, Running Up That Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were on KGO, Karen Reed, our engineer, told me that Chris, um, that Chris uh, doesn't like it when he when he would host, you know, fill in for anybody. Right. Chris Merrill. Right. Chris, mm-hmm. Chris Merrill. Sorry. And um, so I would have her play like every version of Kate Bush's running up that hill. Like <laughs> I would have her play because Chris is working from home, you know, remotely. And yeah. so I would I would I would have her play like the uh, techno remix, like the polka <laughs> version. And he couldn't say anything on the air, right? So he's like biting his tongue. Why didn't he say anything? That would have been funny if well, he had actually said he something. did. He did. He did yeah. flip out one time on air. Um, I mean, faux flip out. But you're yeah, a host like, antagonizer. Look at no, you. No, he he said. Well, yeah, that was my full time job. Mm. Um, but he actually said to Karen on air, he's like, uh, uh, "Is John there? I know John Daly's. There. I know this is because of John Daly. I know this is, <laughs> this is kind of funny." Um. So it's interesting. I was reading the story last night that ketamine. 
can be a uh, something that helps people with mental mental illness. Yeah, and, it's kind of like to a myself, last ditch effort when people know, are depressed. This is not what you want to do because isn't doesn't this play a role in what happened to Mr. Perry? Well, there's a difference between ketamine that's like infused and given in a hospital setting. Um, right. But they are saying that, or at least one of his friends is saying that um, it probably led to what happened because this, this is an exclusive from the Daily Mail um, in the UK. That's, the headline is Perry, uh, Matthew Perry was never clean and lied about his sobriety. Tragic Star's friend claims after autopsy revealed the actor died of a ketamine overdose. And what we know yeah. is that he hadn't been to the, you know, the therapeutic ketamine session right in the medical environment for like i think a couple weeks and it mm -hmm. only stays in your system for three to four hours so i mean just i know we probably shouldn't speculate but he probably got um you know he either had a hookup with a doctor i think or he knew somebody it's very common like you can you can i mean if you're in the city you could you could ask if ask around <laughs> first you'll find the coke dealer if you mm -hmm. ask around and then you can ask for a referral um uh, Perry lied to loved ones and itself, himself about substance issues. Uh, it's claimed the friend star's October death was caused by ketamine um, overdose. And he claimed to be 18 months sober since in October of 2022. And this is common with a lot of people who relapse. I think they're embarrassed. They don't want to admit that they've mm -hmm. had a relapse, right? There's a lot of stuff in the system, though. You know, he had that other medication, right? Yeah. Um, friends uh, star died uh, age 54. Um, the star said in his best-selling 2022 memoir that he had finally overcome his addictions with the help of a sober coach and best friend. However, a close friend of the star who preferred not to be named said he lied to everyone about being clean. He never was. It's very sad. You know, the biggest lie he told was probably to himself. And I don't, if it's, you know, presuming they, they verified that this person was friends with him, mm -hmm. I don't think that person would lie about this. And I've known a couple addicts and it, it's unfortunately kind of, you can't really always trust what they say. Um, like they'll ask for money or help and it's like, I don't, I can't give them money because I know where it's going to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, they're saying that Perry could be quite manipulative when it came to his struggles with using, uh, but it was such a struggle, such a battle. And he battled every day to the end. And I think that's part of the battle, right? That's part of the struggle, mm -hmm. right? It's not lying and, and not lying to yourself, not lying to other people. Um, the contributing, uh, factors, of course, were coronary art, uh, artery disease and the effects of boop. Bu, do you know how to pronounce this one? Buprenorphine? Uh, buprenorphine? Buprenorphine? I would say, yeah. Mm, I don't know. Buprenorphine. We'll just say buprenorphine. Used to okay. treat opioid use disorder. Um, but, you know. Um, yeah. So, again, he was, in, he was receiving the ketamine infusion. Um, but this person, I read another article saying that probably, you know, he was probably doctor shopping. He probably found a doctor that was. Because a doctor can get this stuff very easily. It's sad. Right? It's just sad what happened to him. Yeah. yeah. And that happens with celebrities. Like they just, you know, people don't want to say no to a celebrity. Man. So. Um, let's talk about <laughs> therapy gecko. Could we? Uh -uh. This started during the pandemic. Where so this, this is not the gecko that's selling insurance. No. This guy. Oh, no, no, it's not. No. This is a different one. This guy, his name is, his name is Lyle Drescher. And he decided during the pandemic that he was going to give himself therapy as the gecko. So he'd have, you know, there'd be video where he would say something and the gecko ther therapist would say something. Therapy gecko would say something. Um, he, it's green. You can see here, total green outfit, green face, green paint on his face, green outfit, whatever. Um, he says, I don't have a background in mental health. This is comedy Obviously. more than it is therapy. Yeah. He's not a real therapist. What, what was the first, your first sign? Yeah. he said but now people email him their problems or send him videos of their problems and he will come online and do a, like a little therapy gecko show to help him right. his he records himself taking the calls then releases the video on social media he has two and a half million followers on tiktok and on his podcast he started his gecko journey on Reddit and his popularity just grew. People apparently love therapy gecko. He said, my expectation was that I would be living in my mom's basement doing this forever, but it's gone much better than I thought it would. And so um, even. What is he buying his mom out? And I guess so. He's, <laughs> he's moving up to the first floor. Woohoo. Yeah. Therapy gecko. 
uh, he's he's going strong. He's got a uh, hobby. He turned it into a career. Gotta love him. Five dollar super good sticker from John. Now you make it so I don't have to paint my face green and be a car, uh, copycat of therapy gecko. That's no, right. Uh, Rose has an alert from uh, for us. Uh, there is no power in San Jose. The power oh, lines no. are down on the Delta side of the structure on frontage. Uh oh. Maybe you can. Uh, That's not good. Do a little research right. on that. Yeah. yeah. Check into that. Yeah. Although it is PG and E, so I'll. Uh, I'll, I believe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this story is about Gen Z, our favorite um, generation to pick on, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see if I can get a picture. Do we have a picture of Gen Z? Um, I like how the, if you were asked to like, hey, can you pose for this picture about Gen Z not wanting kids? This is this is how she just this is a, Yeah, she looks rather calm and relaxed. <laughs> Click like and subscribe. Oh my god. Uh the world is too messed up. A climate crisis, a flagged economy, a flagging economy and the generational trauma have made the prospect of parenthood unappealing for many Gen Zers. Sasha Roberts, a 20-year-old teacher from Brooklyn, New York, knows she's like uh knows she'd like to have kids one day, but something major is stopping her. I would be raising them in a world that is is essentially dying, which is kind of hard to grapple with emotionally. It's an existential fear that some older Gen Zers know all too well. Having come of age during a pandemic, a climate crisis, and global conflicts, they're considering um, whether they want children or even a partner, and if they do, what that might look like. Uh, there's so many different ways for me to tackle having children. She told Business Insider, I could freeze my eggs, I could adopt. I feel like it just opens me up to a multitude of opportunities, and it doesn't box me in as much. Gen Z is redefining what family and marriage look like, and those changes are likely to have far-reaching implications. In a survey of uh, nearly 1,900 American adults, Business Insider conducted earlier this year in partnership with YouGov, about 27% of 18 to 26-year-olds said that they saw starting a family as an important goal to achieve in the next five years. In comparison, 72% said they wanted to achieve financial security, and 59% said that their goal was to improve their health. Many mm -hmm. Gen Zers may not want to follow the paths of previous generations. They're prioritizing their careers and wellness above settling down and starting a family. So there you Rules go. are changing. The things that people thought that, you know, your, your whole, the whole thing that you're raised with, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed yeah. to do that. Then people, a lot of people are saying, you know what? Yeah. I'm not supposed to do anything. Is I'm it fair supposed to, bring, to do what makes me happy. Is it fair to bring children into a climate catastrophe? Mm. Well, do we have a choice? I mean, if we want humans to continue, I guess. You have no choice. You have to chugga, figure chugga, out. Chugga. Yeah. Um, so regarding that power outage, I don't have information on that outage per se, but I can tell you that there are delays at SFO due to wind. Uh, the rain is falling in some parts of the Bay Area. And so the delays have started piling up at SFO already. Um, and again, it's very windy in some areas right now there are uh, some spots of flooding in the South Bay. So I'm guessing that this may be storm related, but thank yeah. you for that info earlier. Yeah, it's just showing up on the PG&E outage yeah. map now as a red mm -hmm. triangle that looks very ominous. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, PG&E assessment and crew is en route to the outage. So we don't have any details yet. Here is something else ominous. Elon Musk is funding a new school. Oh, I think he just meant Elon it. Musk. In, <laughs> yeah, he's planning to open it in Austin, Texas. He wants to fund a new primary and a secondary school and ultimately a university in Austin, Texas. Does it sound a little bit like Trump University? I don't know. And if you go to the Elon Musk Academy, then are you, do you have like a different Elon Musk way of thinking? Is that what's happening? That I don't know. A -bag. Mm, I'm not sure about all this. Uh, he's going to put in $100, $100 million uh, to these schools. He is trying to apparently further expand his empire of influence beyond X, as well as all the other companies he runs. Why don't runs. you fix X before you move on? Why don't you do that? Yeah. His, um, his inner circle, his Jared Birchall, who runs the Musk family office, um, and others in his little inner circle are all named as the leaders of something called The Foundation which is a new school planning to teach STEM subjects and other topics. That sounds an, like a cult. Doesn't it? In an application... Where you might name your kid X to the 10th degree, whatever X his name is. Oh, the school is only for Xs. Uh, in an application <laughs> to the international or the Internal Revenue Service asking for tax-exempt status last year, oh, um, they that's what they're doing. They say uh, 
they have first reported plans for the school on Wednesday. Uh, the filing, I guess the school is being designed to meet the educational needs of those with proven academic and scientific potential who will thrive in a rigorous project-based curriculum. So this is going to be an accelerated school. Yeah. The school plans to initially enroll. Accelerated school, like one, two, skip a few. Yeah. Those are, these are for the. <laughs> I think either, we're done with school. Yeah. The smart kids. Yeah. The extra smarties. The school plans to initially initially enroll about 50 kids and grow over time, funded through donations and tuition fees. The school will offer scholarships to support students who couldn't otherwise afford to attend. They have to hire an executive director and teachers and administrative staffers. And eventually they'll seek accreditation from the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools Commission on Colleges. They are looking to expand. They haven't even built it yet, and they're already looking to expand it. So this is interesting. They say Austin, Texas is emerging as a growing alternative education hub. And Maude says he's late on the Austin trend, poser. <laughs> it's totally true. People are moving away from there now. They're not moving to there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. He's also talking about a new university. He's calling it the Texas Institute of Technology and Science. He said the school would have epic merch. Mm. Oh, right. That's what's important. Yeah. Whatever keeps him out of California, I'm, I'm okay with. Whatever. It's interesting. I don't know if, you know, I'm all for project-based learning and accelerated learning. I, If you have a kid that works for, because you don't want a kid to be bored in school. But I don't know. But you know, I mean, the bad policy decisions are going to be made, right? And forced upon the administrators and everyone working there is just going to do what they're told because they're making a lot of money. Any school right? where he's in charge, I worry. Yeah. Mm. yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. There'd be a lot of per per uh, a lot of pressure. Yeah. I don't know. No, I say no. It doesn't make me happy. No. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that leads us to our next story. Very well done. Thank you. <laughs> 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 If only we had a graphic. Yeah, let's change the graphic. Uh, Harvard happiness expert says the number one thing to avoid to achieve a real sense of satisfa satisfaction. It's easy to think that true happiness and satisfaction can only be achieved by accomplishing major goals, but that's far from the truth. According to Arthur C. Brooks, I've heard he's very good. A social scientist and professor at Harvard mm -hmm. who teaches a free course about happiness. A lot of people, that'll make you happy. A lot of people think that once they learn their skills, once they've, they're set in life, that everything will be okay. And that's a fallacy that we call in our business, the arrival fallacy, right? The yeah. premise of the arrival fallacy is that once you accomplish a certain thing, you automatically become happier and more satisfied with your life. Some examples of accomplishments that people think will get them the satisfaction they're looking for include securing a high paying job or financial stability. Still working on that. Getting married. Nope. Buying the house that they've always wanted? Nope. Losing a certain amount of weight? Hey, I got one. Um, regarding, uh, regardless of what the destination is for you, Brooks said that you should avoid the rival fallacy and embrace change in order to be really happy. Humans being, uh, human beings, <laughs> humans are being, <laughs> human beings are wired for progress. Uh, they're also wired from coffee. Progress is what brings us a real sense of satisfaction, forward motion, goals, moving forward, um, that's what we really need, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the goal isn't happiness because happiness isn't a destination. It's a direction. Whoa, dude, that's heavy. That's deep. The way that uh, we get happier has somewhat to do with the things going on outside of us, but it has more to do with our inner lives. The more satisfaction in your life, Brooks suggests treating your happiness like an investment portfolio by prioritizing these four areas. Ready for them? Okay, I'm ready. Faith and life philosophy. That's number one. Mm. Faith okay. and life philosophy. Number two, family. Mm -hmm. Number three, community and friends. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be the after party live, right? In the chat. Mm -hmm. Number four, meaningful work. That would be the shows. Mm. Yeah. And you okay. have your family. Yeah. And you have the faith that the show will not crash and burn. There you go. That's my faith. That's a good one. I'll take it. <laughs> None of these things can make us ha uh, make up happiness uh, all on their own. Uh, they complement each other and they exist in harmony. So. I think that's a good reminder. I used to I know someone who came to California to take this, get this certification in happiness. 
she was going to go to the school to be um at, oh, and actually they it was like UC Berkeley extension like oh, happy yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. and certificate she program probably was the most unhappy person I ever met oh. in my life I think you have to have a mindset to be happiness it's it, to be to be happiness to be happy yeah like, and to practice gratitude as cliche right. as it sounds it is true you're you're grateful for things you understand that if you're pissed off or if you're um, angry about somebody or to someone, or you're depressed about something. And I'm not talking about chemical depression or mental illness. I'm, I'm just talking about situational that work. (laughs) Yeah. That you have the power to control how you respond to things. Right. right? And so if you choose that you're going to have a great day or that you're going to be happy, then all the things around you can happen. And it doesn't really it shouldn't really affect it. It affects you, but it shouldn't affect you to the point where you don't have control over your mood anymore. Right. And if it does, maybe, yeah. maybe therapy, yeah. maybe less coffee. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this next story because I think this is the thing that's going to make us all into zombies. Uh oh. You know, you hear these scientific studies. No, oh. somebody doing something and tampering with something, and you're like, hmm. I don't know if that's a good idea. Scientists are bringing back molecules from the dead in a quest to fight superbugs. Yeah. They're going back to kill us. They're going to kill us. Pardon me. They're going to kill us all. They're going back to the stone age. They're going to, um, they're going to use artificial intelligence based computational methods to mine genetic information from extinct human relatives like Neanderthals and long gone ice age creatures like the woolly mammoth and the giant sloth, because these beings have some small protein or peptide or molecules they've identified that have bacteria fighting powers that may inspire new drugs to fight infections in humans. And what they're saying is the that doing this invites a whole new way of drug discovery, medication discovery. Um, it's enabled us, according to Cesar de la Fuente, who is a lead bioengineering pioneer, to discover uh, to uncover new sequences, new types of molecules that we have not previously found in living organisms, expanding the way we think about molecular diversity. Bacteria from today have never faced those molecules, so they may give us a better opportunity at targeting the pathogens that are problematic today. Yeah, they've never seen anything like this before. Mm. Interesting. Mm. I mean, it could work. It could be great. It could be COVID 2.0. Maybe not. They're they're thinking that we're facing an antibiotic-resistant world now, that we've taken so many antibiotics that the, 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 the superbugs know now that they but can you could uncover one bug that we haven't seen that killed maybe it killed people in the past right and it's been frozen it's been in the fridge for thousands of years and boom and here, here we're all come. wiped out right because there's no uh immunity mm-hmm. they say if we need to go to the past to provide potential solutions for the future i'm all for it i don't know lee says uh, this sounds like the tyrant virus uh which is the core source for the resident evil oh, really the video game yeah uh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're calling it a Jurassic Park moment. That it's right. a That's wacky saying, but yeah. worthwhile approach. But I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe it's great, and maybe it's going to be fine. But it freaks me out a little bit. It was great. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Comment from Lori. Really, what was their lifespan? Sounds like a way to reintroduce bad pathogens that died out because uh, it killed all the hosts. It would seem, but yeah. maybe not. Maybe they died for different reasons, and so their super bacteria will Do be. Do we really want to find out? that's what i wonder as the kids say f around and find out (laughs) exactly no we don't we don't want to do that no thank you i love this next video this is awesome you know it's the it's the truck you love to hate anyway and here it is yeah it's this tesla cyber truck apparently it had a little issue yeah so let me i have a photo here of the cyber truck yeah here we go there's a cyber truck um, a video of a cyber uh, or a Tesla Cybertruck sliding down a snowy embankment with a Christmas tree tied to its roof went viral on social media uh, last <laughs> week. Uh, do you have it? Unfortunately, I don't have it. Yeah, I'll get it for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can get it. The agency could use the resulting internet and Broglio to educate people about Ooh. the best practices for off-road vehicles on public lands. In a move that the Forest Service spokesman Benjamin Cassell allowed was a, a bit cheeky, 
The Stanislaus National Forest issued a news release offering a partner uh, offering to partner with Tesla on an education campaign regarding off-road vehicle use on public lands. Uh, we were always thrilled with, when new opportunities uh, to explore our public lands become available, they said in the release. But we feel that they we, there may be work to be done in educating users on our uh, motor vehicle use maps. Tesla has so far not responded, according to officials. Request for comment from Tesla from the Times was not answered uh, Sunday. The partnership came after the cyber truck apparently lost control, lost traction, and slid a Christmas tree still jauntily attached to the roof, mm-hmm. as you can see there, uh, down an embankment off a well-known off-highway vehicle area in the Calaveras Ranger District. The cyber truck was eventually rescued by a Ford truck. Yep, there you go. America. It was spinning its wheels and sliding all over the place. Not that that can't happen to other vehicles yeah. as well. But the real ad here mm. is... The real winner here is Ford. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Who came in and rescued this truck, not really a truck. Yeah. It's like a like a Tonka. Like a Tonka this thing truck. is going viral. This video of this Tesla truck sliding down this embankment because it's embarrassing. You know, you think a truck should be able to operate in different types of conditions. And this one apparently can't no can do. Yeah. yeah. We've definitely never seen anything like this. Um but that's the end of the show for today. It is? Yeah. Are you ready to go? It's BS. No, I'm not ready to go. Really? Well, now I'm ready to go if you play the nice people music. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank so many people that have helped us today. Uh, West T, $5. Miss Organic, $5. Uh, Doug, uh, $5. Those are so nice. And you have our regular contributors. Yes. Harry M, Elizabeth R, Allison A, Brian S, Linda A, the big Jim L, Rachel C, Martha D. You guys, so, so many thanks. So appreciative of you. We're so grateful for you supporting the show and that we get to do the after party live and have so much fun together every day. Thank you. And we'll see you tomorrow for Travel Tuesday. Yes. Ooh, Mockingbird is back. Yeah. That's right, bitches. (laughs) Have a great afternoon. Kim McAllister, everybody. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye guys. <laughs>